Um, I got to tell you, I'm going to miss this place. This has kind of grown on me. And uh, it really is a, a bit of a sentimental moment for me. I didn't think it would be that way. Uh, I really haven't preached in quite a while without looking back and seeing a coyote on the back wall. But uh, God has been really good to us here. And uh, the school has been really good to us. And the guys, Boone and Ryan, the guys that help us here every morning, I mean, they've been uh, just super, super guys. And so when you see them, tell them you love them and thank them get a, if you get a chance. Amen. But you think about all that's really happened in the last six months. It's been pretty amazing how we, uh, we started in a small room in a house uh, six weeks ago and how now we're going to be moving to, uh, to two theater locations and six venues, one of them international. And I had this thought this morning. I got an email last night from Ed, and he said, hey, if you need help at the Abu Dhabi in the Arabic, Arabic is my uh, native language, and I got this thought. I don't know if Ed can do it, but I thought, well, if we could do subtitles in Arabic in our sermons across the Middle East, um, it might be another way to, to reach people for Jesus Christ. You know, I don't know if you know this, but they're they're really and and this is not the sermon. This is just the primer. All right, um, but there are really hundreds and hundreds of conversions being recorded in Iran among Persians, uh, Muslims who are having revelations and dreams and visions of Jesus Christ. And what the church can't do because it can't be there, Jesus Christ by His Spirit does. And I want to reassure you that sometimes you get frustrated with what you don't see happening. Keep in mind that God is in control. He is the sovereign King and all-powerful majesty of the universe. So don't ever think it's up to us. It's all about His Spirit. Which brings me to a good point. I don't know if you've heard this thought before, but I want to bring it to you. It goes like this. You can be in the middle of a miracle and what? Not know it. Somebody quoted that to me the other day. We're out to dinner and I was saying something and they looked at me and said, you know, um, you can be in the middle of a miracle and not know it. And I thought, it's coming back to haunt me. It's going to be, you know, written on my car. It's going to be somewhere. It's going to, going to come up with a t-shirt which is a great idea, by the way. But um, I just think it's, we have to stay God-focused. We have to stay miracle-focused on the God who does the great things that we can't do. I'm really tired of, of churches normal. I, I want to see God just invade our space, change our world, heal our nation. Here's the second thing. The journey that you go on can open your heart up to the kingdom. You see, unless you're on a journey, unless you're going somewhere with God, you're probably not going to see a lot of the kingdom of God open up to you. You want to see that open up. And then God's footsteps can be heard in the wilderness. You know, God says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted on the earth. I will be exalted in the heavens. The God of Jacob is with us. Come behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he's wrought on the face of the earth. Oh, the mountain may quake and slip into the midst of the sea thereof, but God utters his voice and the earth melts. Think about that sovereign statement from Almighty God from Psalms. 
The passage we have is one that follows the Ten Commandments. We just went through Ten Commandments and went through those and looked at how God would apply those to our life. And it's an interesting passage that follows. I want you to look with me in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 18 through 25. All of a sudden, God has done this revelation of, him, of what he wants of us. And then there is this manifestation of his presence. And he says this, Now all the people witnessed the thunder... The lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and they stood afar off. That would frighten me. If I was in the wilderness and all of a sudden thunder and lightning began and trumpet sounds came and a thick darkness came around where I was and all of a sudden I realized I am in the presence of God. Well, I want you to know that God is still creating thunder and lightning and smoke and trumpet. He's coming in the power of the presence. He comes and he invades your very soul. And he rattles the things that you don't want rattled. He gets your attention. And notice what they said to Moses in verse 19. They, then they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will hear, but, but let not God speak to us lest we die. They said, we don't know what's going on over there but we trust you. And their heart was crying out for a mediator, someone who could talk to God and bring God and man together. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you. And look at this next phrase. It's very interesting in its construction. That his fear may be before you. You know how you walk in the presence of the power of God? It is when the fear of God is ever in front of you. And I don't mean the fear that makes you cowl and run and hide. I mean the fear that gives you respect for God and who God is. You walk and you say, God, the fear of God is before me. Everywhere I turn, I see the fear of God, the respect of God, the love of God. For God has come that he might test you, that his fear might be before you, that you may not sin. You know why God doesn't want us to sin? Because what it does to us. It's not because he's some kind of a cosmic killjoy and just trying to make everybody's life miserable on earth. It's not it at all. He knows the effect that sin has on you, on your soul, on your mind, on your will, on every dimension of you, and it keeps you from experiencing the glory of God. And every time you miss out on a little bit of God's glory, you miss out on a lot. And it says here that... The people drew afar off, but Moses drew near in the thick darkness where God was. It's interesting. God is here, and yet God can be here in more powerful ways than we can imagine. We'll talk about that in a minute. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, You have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. Do you know heaven is an ever-present place? You know, we think of heaven, well, it must be over there, and it probably takes about two weeks to get there. You realize that heaven is just another dimensional. Heaven is right in front of me. It is all around me, just like the spirit world is all around me. I just can't touch it and feel it. I can't enter into that dimension of heaven yet. But I can experience, because Jesus prayed like this. Remember he told his disciples? Pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Right? Pray that heaven begins to invade earth. Thy will be done on, in, on earth as it is already being done in heaven. And the Lord said unto Moses, You shall say to the children of Israel, You have seen that I have talked from you from heaven. You shall not make anything 
to be with me gods of silver or gold you shall not make for yourselves. He says, your temptation is to capture me in some kind of an image. So you can look at that and worship me. Don't do it. I'm so much bigger than that. Don't limit me to that. I think that was the biggest problem. It wasn't this idea of worship. It was this idea that you have got a God who's too small when you do that. And that image, it might, you say, well, that brings me to God. It makes me think about God. Yeah, but God becomes reduced to a figure. And then he says in verse 24, an altar of earth you shall make for me and sacrifice on it burnt offerings and peace offerings. Now, we don't do that. We don't know what that means. What's a burnt offering? What's a peace offering? Burnt offering had to do with your sin, and a peace offering had to do with your fellowship. You see, when your sin is dealt with properly before God on, in Jesus Christ, you have fellowship with God. And you don't have this enmity, this warring that goes on inside of you. And it says here, your sheep and your oxen in every place where I record my name, I will come to you. Look at that phrase. If you have your Bibles open, just underline that phrase. Where I record my name, I will come to you. You know that God wants to put a record of his name on your life? God wants to put a record of his name on the, your house, on your business. He says, I'm going to come there. I'm going to come to that place. And then he says, I'm going to bless you there. God, put a record. In fact, make it a broken record. Just keep bringing your glory back and back and back and back and take it to a new level. No wonder it, it's written that, you know, we beheld his glory, of, that of Jesus, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. If you had any doubt about whether you wanted to follow Jesus and you came to realize this was God manifest in the flesh, you changed your mind. If God lived in your neighborhood, wouldn't you want to follow him? Who's down the street? Who lives next door? God. Oh, really? How's he to live next to? Well, you know what? We, we behave a lot better when he's home. I mean, when he goes on vacation, you know, down to the Galilee, we throw a few parties, but when he comes back, we get it all cleaned up. I mean, really, when you put it in kind of a contemporary context, it kind of is earth-shattering, isn't it? You have God in your neighborhood? So it goes on to say here in verse 25, And you shall make me an altar of stone. You should not build it of hewn stone. You should, uh, if you use a tool on it, you have profaned it. In other words, he said, I don't want you to create this temple that you get consumed with. I want you to get consumed with me. So get a bunch of rocks and stack them up on top of each other, and that'll be your altar. But don't get this fine-hewn stone like you see going on around you. Maybe he's trying to tell us something about worship. Maybe he's trying to tell us that if you get too nice of a place, you get consumed with it, and you fall in love with it, and it becomes your monument. He says, I want you to fall in love with me. Just fall in love with me. That's all. And then he says, nor shall you go up the steps to my altar that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. I love this verse. In other words, these guys were wearing togas and things. And he said, if you got a short toga on and you go climbing up a bunch of steps, it's not going to be pretty. <laughs> That's what he's saying. I mean, since I had that thought, I can't get it out of my mind. <laughs> See, the Bible's a lot of fun. You just got to know how to read it, right? 
Now, you know, the sad thing is you're gonna, some of you are going to go out of here, and the only thing you're going to remember I said was a guy in a toga that didn't have proper undergear. He said, I just took it to a new level for you. Let me talk to you today about the manifest glory of God. The manifest glory of God. The people witnessed this trumpet, this thunder, this lightning, this dark smoke that came upon it. You know what was happening there? It was the noise was the sound of two worlds colliding. Heaven and earth were on a collision course. And the reason they were fearful was because they'd grown accustomed to the wilderness and to the world, and, and it kind of made sense. And all of a sudden, when heaven began to invade earth, it, this collision course created tension there. I also think what was happening there, that space that they were in, was probably occupied by demonic spirits, was now being forced out, and God's manifest presence was there in a very unique way. When you, you know the difference when you get God to show up in your life, in your house, in your place of work. You say, wow, I just feel like God is here. And you want him to stay here. See, heaven erupted on earth. That's what was happening. The power-charged atmosphere of heaven had invaded earth, and suddenly their attention was focused on one thing and one thing only, God. That's what happens when that kind of invasion happens in your life. You know, it's interesting when you start talking about God. You see, God, we say, is omnipresent. That means he's present everywhere at the same time. Okay? That's just good theology. That means he's here, he's over there, he's over there, he's everywhere at the same time. Satan can, is not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at the same time. Only God can. He's unique in that sense. Okay, so we talk about that. Then we have to talk about he is uniquely present, however, in the life of a believer. So when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, God sends his Holy Spirit to live in your spirit. He births life in you, and you become the temple of the living God, and God lives in your heart. So that's a uniqueness of his spirit. But then it says in Matthew 18, 20, that it's also something special happens when two or more of you are gathered in my name. He talks about this unique presence that he has when we do that. So when we start talking about the presence of God, we say God is present everywhere. God is uniquely present in our heart. God is also uniquely kind of there when we begin to gather two or more. And then the psalmist tells us that God inhabits the praises of his people. So if his people get together who have the spirit of God in them and they begin to sing praises, you see how the manifest presence of God begins to increase. But then there's something even more. Atmosphere and place can become saturated with his presence. Atmosphere and place can be saturated with his presence. In other words, God is present everywhere. God is in the presence of, the, uh, of, of every believer. When we gather together in multiples, it increases. We begin to sing his praises, and then we begin to say, God, we want more and more of your presence as this new song our band just sang. Don't you love our band that writes songs for us? You realize we're singing about three-fourths of songs we're singing are songs that our band wrote. Isn't that good? And 500 years from today, there'll be somebody say, I want to sing the old songs. 
Those guys from L.A. God that did, that did all that music, we want to sing those songs again. But watch this atmospheric presence of God because what happened to Moses? All of a sudden, God's presence become atmospheric, and it says here that Moses drew near into the darkness, the thick darkness, listen, where God was. So God is here, but God can be here in a more powerful way. It's all up to us. Some people, most of the people, didn't want to be in the presence of God. Remember that? Well, we don't want to go in the presence of God. That's kind of scary stuff over there, that God stuff with thunder and trumpets and lightning and thick. Moses, go in for us. Do you realize the divine visitations of God are obvious? They are obvious and readily perceived. You know that the Hebrew word for glory, you know what it literally means? It means weighty, something that's heavy, something that's in abundance, something that is of splendor, something that is of honor. When God's presence shows up, you feel it physically. It's amazing how people have tried to avoid this whole idea of emotions. Well, you know, I, I just want to detach emotions. Oh, I think that makes you dead. Right? I will only attune to my emotions when I'm everywhere but church. You know what it comes down to? Satan wants to convince you, convince you that it is more honorable to be emotionally dead and religious than it is to be spiritually alive and vibrant. And we have, we have given people around the world some kind of Christianity that never touches their soul and it never touches their emotions and it never touches their spirit, but it is orderly and dignified and religious. And it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. I want to be, I want to be more excited about God than I ever will be about any sports team in America. Amen? Really, really excited. Once you've tasted the glory you, like Moses, want it all the time. Listen to what it says in, in Exodus 33, 18. Please show me your glory. That's what, you, you go down a few chapters and Moses says, please, will your glory show up for me? Will you, will you bring this in a greater fold? Have you prayed that lately? God, show me your glory. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, 2 Corinthians 3. We all with unveiled faces are beholding in a mirror the glory of God, and we are being changed from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Haggai chapter 2, uh, chapter two and verse 9, listen to this. It's, a, it's really a prophetic word. It says, The glory of the latter house shall be greater than of the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. I started praying that. Say, so God, I want the, the glory of, of the house that's coming, the latter house, to come. I want it to be great in the glory of this house. And I want you to bring peace. You know, when you study the life of Jesus, you see the signs, the wonders, the miracles that, that he did. They were manifestations of the glory of God, manifestations of his love, manifestations of his power. John chapter 2 and verse 11, the beginning of the signs that Jesus did in Cana of the Galilee, listen, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Wow, when you see the glory, you get excited. Jesus promised greater works through those who believe in him. Listen to this, most assuredly I say unto you, he who believes in me, the works that, that, 
I do, he will do also, and greater works will, than these will he do also, because I go to the Father, and whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. He, you know what he just said? You like all the miracles I did? You're going to do more. How many of you believe that's true? Raise your hand. Intellectually, emotionally, or volitionally believe it? Oh, I intellectually believe God can do anything. Emotionally, oh yeah, I'm getting excited about it. Is God doing what you're believing him for? That's the greatest question you'll ever ask yourself. Is God doing what, he's believing, what you're believing him for? Listen to this. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, Jesus said to his disciples. You imagine that? They're sitting around a campfire camping with Jesus for three years. I love this scene. You know, we get the idea that Jesus had the 12 disciples. He put them in a little circle. You know, they had a small group. You know, had a curriculum. A little Torah reading here. They go through the whole thing. Okay, what do you guys think? Let's get a little input here. Okay, got a couple of new recommendations for you. I want you to read this. I want you to read that. A couple of spiritual activities. I want you to go out and do this and do that. This is what he does. He looks them in the eye, man to man, and he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I know John, Peter, some of those other guys are going, what does that mean? I don't know, but it sounds kind of ominous. It's at hand. It, which hand? Your hand or my hand? Right? Left? What? What kind of hand is he talking about? I don't know what he's talking about, but it, we better listen. He looks him in the eye and he says this, heal the sick. Cleanse the leper. Raise the dead. Cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. What goes through your mind when you hear that? Kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was scary enough. You want me to go out and now heal the sick and cast out the demon and touch the leper, heal the leper. This is a whole different game than we thought it was going to be. We thought this was going to be Sunday school light. This has turned into a revolution of transformation where heaven shows up on earth and everything is different. This is, not a, this is not a movement for those who like it nice and sweet and easy and religious. This is radical, radical stuff. No wonder it says in John 1.14, and the Word became flesh. God became flesh. Jesus was not just a friend of God. He was God of very God in the flesh, manifest among us. God became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. And as they were in his presence, they had this second thought, and that is, a, I believe, a cry for a mediator. Remember they said to Moses, you know, you go talk to God and you leave us out of this thing. You know why they did that? Because God is uniquely different than you and I. Something about God that just makes him different. Have you noticed that? He knows everything. He's all-powerful. But remember the guy Job? Job was the guy that had a really, really bad week. I led this uh, Marine to Christ one time, and he called me up after about two weeks, and he goes, I don't get this book. I go, what book? This book of Job. 
He said, I've been reading it, looking for some way I can get involved in church, and, and it doesn't make any sense. It just looks like this guy had a really bad week. But you know, Job lived, he was a contemporary of Abraham. If you put the book of Job chronologically in the Bible, you put it in the book of Genesis. Do you realize that Job has some of the deepest theology? This is, if you think this is just a, a book about a guy who suffered, you miss the whole point of Job. Job speaks more about the coming Messiah than any other book in the Old Testament, apart from maybe Isaiah. Listen to what Job says. Job says this in Job chapter 9, For he is not a man, speaking of God, as I am, that, he may, that I, we may answer him. And there is no umpire or mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. Here's what Job said. He's the holy God. I'm the sinful man. How do we get these two together? His heart was crying out for a mediator. You see, he knew that man needed to communicate with God, but how do I get God and me together? In Job 31, 35, it says, Oh, that I had one to hear me. Behold, here is my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. A mediator brings hope to man. Listen to Job 19.25. As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and on the earth one day will stand. So Job said, I need an umpire, a mediator. I know my Redeemer lives, and one day on the earth will stand. You know what his heart was crying out? His heart was crying out for the same thing yours and my heart cries out for, and that's for Jesus. And Jesus died on the cross to bring man and God together. He's the great plus symbol of the universe. It's like the little girl that walked in on Easter and saw the cross. She said, Mommy, look, this is a really positive place. What do you mean, honey? Well, look, there's a big plus sign up there. No, that's what God does. He brings us together. No wonder, listen to this. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Anybody here sinned, would you raise your hand? Just raise your hand up. Let me see if there's any sinners. Okay, a couple of you are dismissed. I always thought it'd be great just to have a great big sign that said, sinners, welcome here. All others, go to the restaurant. Take the day off. Because that's what we are. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then here's what it says. But the wages of our sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, you know, I go out here and I sin. God says, that's going to cost you. It's going to separate you from me. That's what death is, a separation. Guess what? The free gift of God is eternal life. And then it, it says in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his great love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. You want to know how much God loves you? Look at the cross. And then it says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, listen to what it says, you will be saved. I ask people, are you saved? They go, I don't know. Okay, let's read, let's read that verse back a different way. If you confess with the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you might get saved. There's a 40% chance. If you do really good, no, it just says confess, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. No wonder Paul writes to Timothy and says there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. 
He is our mediator. The blessings are found in the altar. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 24, it says, The altar of earth you shall make for me. You shall sacrifice on it burnt and peace offerings. So that, that burnt offering was the sin offering. You know, here's what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Anybody ever heard of Gene Pierce? Raise your hand. Gene Pierce. Went to school with him in seventh grade. Nobody's heard of him? I had a tendency to get in trouble in seventh grade. Gene Pierce was one of those kids everyone hated because he always did right. Teacher's pet. Oh, come on. Seriously, Gene. Well, my teacher bent over to pick up a paper, and I had a rubber band in my hand. So I gave her a good shot right where it counts. She turned around, wanted to know who did it. Everyone was laughing, you can well imagine, and Gene Pierce ratted me out. Well, I had missed the first time. It was actually my second shot, and I'd connected. And she said, is that right? Did you shoot the rubber band? I said, I did shoot the rubber band, but Gene did too, and there's two rubber bands up there you can look and see. She said, both of you to the principal's office. We went in there. Our principal, you know, he looked like he was, you know, arena fight, fighter. I mean, it was just like you walked in there, and he looked at me and said, what would you guys do? And I said, well, I shot a rubber band and hit the teacher. Gene shot one and missed. He pulled out a board that was about that long. Those are the great days of the boards. I don't understand some of what went on in this man's mind, but he had drilled holes in it. When I asked him about the holes, he said, you can move it faster through the air. It was wrapped in rubber bands. I asked him about the rubber bands. He says it was to increase the sting factor. It was a two-handed board. I bent over, grabbed the, the desk. He hauled back and hit that. It would have killed an average man. Instantly, instantly, tears jumped from every pore of my body. I sucked it up really quick, got my composure, and it was Gene's turn. Gene bent over, and I said, you know, he was the one that instigated it. <laughs> he said, well, we'll give him a little extra then. It was so awesome. I wasn't a Christian then. I might have still done it, but I loved it. I tell you what, he hauled back and gave Gene, a, and we're all, he's crying. He cries all the way back in the room. He's crying. I go, what's wrong, Gene? You going to wrap me out again? He goes, I'm moving my desk. <laughs> okay, now let me tell you a different story. Same two characters, but let me just say it spun a different way. Let's suppose I shot the rubber band, hit the teacher, Teacher said, who did that? And Gene said, I did it. And the teacher said, okay, you go to the principal's office and you take the punishment. How do I feel about Gene now? He just took the penalty of my sin. He didn't have to. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. That's what Jesus did. Instead of ratting us out, he took the penalty of our sin. 1 Peter 2, 4 says, He bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died unto sins, might live for righteousness. 
for whose stripes you were healed. For we were like sheep going astray, but now we have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of our soul. Therefore, Romans 5, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received this reconciliation between God and man, that we might become the very righteousness of God. Think about that. We have become the very righteousness of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. When we take communion, as we will today, this will be our last communion here in this facility. Kind of a special moment. It's a special moment for a lot of reasons. One, because the way God has brought us this far and blessed us, it's a special moment because communion is. And it's always a special moment because we never have enough room to get everybody up and down the aisles. And I like that. I like to see you stand up and shuffle around and get to know people and look them in the eye and laugh about this setup we have. But you know what it's all about? That bread is a picture of the body of Christ that was hung on the tree, and that, that juice is a, is a picture of the blood of Jesus spread, uh, uh, shed for your sins and for my sins. And when you take it, what you're saying is, I believe Jesus died for me and spilled his blood to take away my sins and was buried and rose again that I might have eternal life. And we want you to have life. If you've never confessed Christ as your Savior and your Lord, you can do that right now where you sit, where you stand. But when you take this bread and this cup, you're saying, I do believe and that has happened to me. It is a sweet time of fellowship. Let me give you a couple of life applications. Here's the first thing. Everything has to die at the altar. For you to follow Jesus, you have to die to sin. Everything has to die at the altar. And remember, it's all about Jesus. It's not about me or you. It's not about anything else. It's about Jesus. It's Jesus, simply Jesus. Amen? Amen.